This is the Keep Them Healthy with Jamie podcast. Season two is here with a focus on women's health. Don't forget to share and rate this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Keep Them Healthy podcast. This is your host, Jamie. Today on my show, I have a genetic counselor, Shannon Wheelock, and we're going to pick her brain about what a genetic counselor is, what they do, and how we can use them to keep ourselves healthy. And so I would love to introduce to you guys, Shannon Wheelock. Shannon, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. All right, Shannon. So let's get started on highlighting what is a genetic counselor? So basically, we are healthcare professionals who specialize both in education and training in the field of medical genetics. So we all have at least a master's degree specifically in human genetics or genetic counseling. Some genetic counselors go for a PhD, but the vast majority of us have just a master's in genetic counseling. And so this is offered at very specific accredited graduate programs. There are not that many. Um, And we've obtained certification through the American Board of Genetic Counselors and often state licenses if that state has it. So basically we're subject matter experts in whatever our specialty is and we educate patients and providers. So who comes to you seeking advice about their genetic panels or testing? It could be anyone. Uh, If we specialize, just like doctors do. So there are cancer genetic counselors, cardiac genetic counselors, neurogenetic counselors, pediatric. Um, I specialize in reproductive genetic counselors. So I will talk to patients who are either planning a pregnancy or who are pregnant. And They can have questions about their family history. So if they have, for example, a brother with autism, a cousin with cystic fibrosis, maybe they have a significant family history of autoimmune conditions and they're curious about the recurrence risk, be it for themselves or their offspring, we talk about the the causes or etiologies of these conditions. We talk about the known genetic link and potential testing options. And we talk a lot about the pros and the cons and the limitations and the benefits of genetic testing, who offers it, uh, potential cost, and ultimately, why are they seeking it and what are they going to do with that information? So could you give us an example of a typical client of yours? Give us an Mm -hmm. example of why they would come and then what to expect during your appointments with them. Yep. So again, it really depends on why they're coming to see me. So say I have a patient who is coming for a history of recurrent pregnancy losses, then we would do a personal and pregnancy and family history, just so we know all of the risks to talk about. We would then talk about the various causes for recurrent pregnancy losses and talk about the recommended testing that both that patient and their partner pursue. Um, In terms of genetics, um, we don't venture into, for example, with this patient, the GYN realm of everything else that would go into that assessment, but there are certainly genetic considerations to keep in mind and testing that would be recommended. Now, now, do you do the testing do you, or do you no. write the script for the testing? So where do you go for the testing then? So 
to clarify, no, I don't conduct the testing, but what, what would happen is there's a couple of options. Either I would write up a summary letter, that patient would take that to their primary care or their OBGYN, and if that provider is comfortable with ordering that testing, they can do that. Um, if they want me to do it, I can absolutely facilitate it. I would use a third party um, physician to sign off on those orders. So I could order it for the patient because in many states, not all, but many genetic counselors don't have the legal per permission to order tests. Um, if I, that's, if the patient is in a state where that is the case and Pennsylvania is one of them, um, then I would use a third party physician and order that. Um, Another option is a lot of labs offer self-pay rate or some genetic testing options um, do not, are not covered by insurance. And in that case, I would walk the patient through the lab's website and have them order the test themselves. Okay. So they're coming to you mainly before they even had the genetic testing, or do you have a lot of people who come to you after they receive genetic testing from their OBGYN and they're saying, help, I don't know how to read this, or how do I make my decision after this? What's the normal case for you? So both, I would say probably 50, 50, a lot of times individuals just don't have the time to talk in depth to the to the degree that they would like with their healthcare providers, um, or their healthcare providers don't know the genetic information. Uh, generally speaking, healthcare providers get very limited information on genetics. It's complicated and confusing. So if they want to know more about tests, for example, if I have a pregnant patient and she's questioning all of the genetic testing options that are available in her pregnancy, I would see her before that testing is done so she knows all of those options. A lot of times patients come to see me after when they've had carrier screening, non-invasive prenatal testing, healthy screening even, so they don't have any particular issues, but many times things are still found on these panels that they elect to pursue and they're surprised by them and they wanna know what that means, basically what the result accuracy is, where do they go with this, what's the next step, are there specialists or medical recommendations that that we would say, yes, based on these results, these are your options for your next steps. So if we can circle back to the recurring losses uh, patient that we're just using as an example, what mm -hmm. would be some of the tests that you would recommend? What are you looking for as possible issues contributing yep. to so the losses? It, yeah, so it depends on... Um, Really, insurance can sometimes define recurrent pregnancy losses as two or more, some say three or more, but the number one thing that you want to consider is uh, looking at chromosome analysis, both for uh, egg and sperm, so, so mom or dad, uh, male, female, and what you're looking for is you want to make sure that they don't have any overt um, chromosome changes such as a change in sex chromosomes. So instead of XX or XY, there can be a single X, there can be XYY, XXY impacting this. And the other thing you're looking for is, is there any rearrangement among those chromosomes? And so if you think of your chromosome material like a set of encyclopedias, the reason you're doing this test is to say, do you have all volumes? 
And is there a chunk of chapters from, for example, volume K that has up and switched positions with a chunk of chapters from volume Q? Why this is important is because lots of people have these translocations. The incidence is like one in 700. But if you have it, you're probably fine. You would never even know. But when you pass this information on to your offspring, they could be receiving extra or missing material through no one's fault other than just the chance of it occurring in nature. And if that happens, that can lead to recurrent pregnancy losses, that can lead to healthy uh, offspring. It can also lead to children who have some sort of intellectual or physical um, medical condition. Okay, and so after, let's just say they go through the process, they realize that they have, um, what'd you say, K and Q chapters mixed up mm -hmm. in their encyclopedias. Um, yep. what, how do you advise them from there? So at that point, they have many options. Say that we do the testing and mom has this translocation. Where you go from there is, you know, what are you going to do with that information? Would you do in vitro fertilization and test embryos created with that egg and someone's sperm to see if that embryo has that translocation in a balanced or unbalanced form? If it's a balanced form, again, presumably there's not going to be any medical impact from that. If, an un, if it's in an unbalanced form, it would be recommended that that patient not transfer that embryo. Other options include using an egg donor. Other options include adoption. But at least they know that information up front before they are experiencing either additional miscarriages or something on those lines. That's so interesting um, and so helpful to help prevent, I mean, loss of a, of a baby is a traumatic experience for women. Yeah. So to have that and to understand your body and to know your options is pretty powerful. So let's talk about IVF and when you say they test um, the embryos. Now, do they, will they be able to pick out the specific situation that you're speaking of the translocation or is that something that again this couple should go further and seek from a genetic counselor or does that happen already through the genetic um they test the genetics of the embryo yep so it is a multiple step very long process um what would happen is after they got their discussion with me and they understand their own chromosome analysis I would recommend they go back to their OBGYN and ask for a referral to an IVF center. What happens at that point is the IVF center would have those uh, test results. They would know um, kind of the reason for that couple to be there. They would review the IVF process, which is outside my scope. Um, I like to stick with genetics. I like IVF to stick with everything that they do with IVF. That couple would then understand the next step would be to, an example with the um, translocation, they would need further testing on other family members. That is done through yet another laboratory that specializes in that. Okay. And then with IVF in particular, um, do you have recommendations uh, if you are going through the, if someone is going through the process of IVF, when it comes to genetics, 
should there be a broader scan of the embryo than what the IVF is um, providing or, or do you think it's sufficient? Depends on why they're having IVF. So if they know that one person in that partnership has a translocation, that is one type of preimplantation genetic testing that is done. It's called PGT hyphen SR. That is only done when there is a family history of a translocation. When couples have IVF, generally speaking, most are offered something called PGTA or pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy. That is done to assess, is there the appropriate amount of chromosome material? Is there an extra chromosome 21 associated with Down syndrome, an extra 18, a missing X? That again, generally speaking, is offered to everyone because everyone has a risk to have a baby with a chromosome change. If there is a family history of a specific genetic condition like cystic fibrosis, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, something like that, there's a third type of PGT that could be done called PGTM, like Michael. Okay, awesome. So, okay, now, do you ever have healthy couples come to you who aren't recommended from an OBGYN or haven't had any issues with fertility? Would they ever come to you just to start off their reproductive process? Absolutely. So if I had a family or a couple who had no history of recurrent losses, no significant family history, but who were just wondering what can be done, there's two options I would generally talk about. Related to reproductive, I would say that carrier screening is recommended for anybody who is planning a pregnancy. What that is, is a gene panel that could be done on mom or dad or both together, looking for those misspellings in the words in the encyclopedias, using that same analogy. Reason being, we are all carriers of numerous genetic conditions that don't affect us because for the most part, someone needs a variant from mom and from dad in the same gene. So in that gene set, they don't have any working copies of that gene, and that's when you show signs or symptoms. For a carrier, they have one copy of the gene with a change, the other works fine, therefore they don't show any signs or symptoms, they would never even know that they're a carrier. The risk comes in when both mom and dad have changes in the same genes and then pass those on to an offspring. Or for a female, if she has a change on her X chromosome and passes it to a son, then you would see whatever condition is associated with that change. Interesting. And then when it comes to the percentages, let's just say they, it comes back that they are um, carriers for cystic fibrosis. You mm -hmm. would work through the chances of having a child with cystic fibrosis or how does that work in your, for your profession? Yep. So what we would do is if both had had testing and one was positive, one was negative, very specific risks could then be quoted from the laboratory because they always will have a residual risk. That risk will never be zero because you can't look for every genetic change in a gene. If they are both carriers, then we know that risk is one in four or 25%. So we talk through that. And again, we talk about all those testing options, whether it's IVF with PGTM, whether it's egg donor, sperm donor, adoption, any of these. You can choose to pursue no testing, a natural conception, knowing that 75% chance that 
pregnancy will not be affected and take those risks as is. Cystic fibrosis is one of the conditions tested for on newborn screening. So you would know soon after birth if a baby was affected or not. Um, you can also test during pregnancy. So natural conception and do invasive testing like a chorionic villi sampling or amniocentesis to determine at 12 weeks or at 16 weeks or whatnot if a pregnancy is affected. It's just knowing earlier gives you more options. If you could explain what would be some benefits for people seeking you out that you would tell them about when they come to see you? I think the biggest benefit in general for genetic counseling is knowledge. And so again, a lot of times these individuals just don't have access to this information from their primary care physician, from their OBGYNs, from other specialists that they're seeing. And so just knowing what are the potential causes, what are the actual recurrent risks, and what are my steps and options once I have that information is the biggest benefit to anyone seeking any sort of medical information. Are there any tests that come back that you could actually lifestyle-wise change the outcome of the fertility process for them? Or is it all pretty, like you either have this or you don't have it? So with fertility specific, you can't change a gene, but you certainly can then know this is the route that I want to take in terms of using donors, trying to uh, conceive naturally, pursuing IVF. So it definitely affects medical management. Um, but a lot of genetic test results would change medical management, even in the realm of healthy screening for someone who doesn't have fertility issues, who isn't planning a pregnancy, but just curious for themselves. If, for example, they're found to have a variant related to cancer predisposition or cardiovascular conditions, then they would change medical management, screening, monitoring to improve that prognosis. Okay. So when you do tests, you can test for cancer or conditions during this whole entire process. You can. Yes. So again, some people come just because again, they don't have any indication that they're particularly particularly concerned about, they don't really have a family history, or maybe they do. And we talk that out to say, look, there are guidelines to say when someone should really pursue or consider genetic testing based on a family or personal history of cancer, cardiac issues, or whatnot. Even if someone doesn't meet those, those guidelines are just that. They're guidelines. They're not meant to find everyone definitively. A lot of people still pursue healthy screening for genetics and are found to have these variants. And then you think, okay, you know what? I would never have known this otherwise. I have a BRCA1 variant, and that's going to significantly increase my risk for breast, ovarian, prostate, pancreatic cancer. What do I need to do now? And in the terms of breast cancer, if they're 20, they may seek mammography at a different frequency and at a different starting rate than if they were, say, 40 or 50. Okay. Okay. So is there anything else that you want to explain or like, or leave us with, with, in regards to reproductive genetic testing? 
I think I would just say, know your options, do your research. And at the end of the day, it is your pregnancy. So why do you want that information? Your doctor is there to assist you. They're not there to direct you to what to do. That is your decision. And so having more information allows you to make the best decision for you. And Shannon, where can people reach out to you? Where they can, where can they find you if they are interested in genetic counseling? Yep. So I have a website that is www.storkgenetics.com. I'm also on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and God forbid my daughter talked me into TikTok, um, all with Stork Genetics as the handle. Great. Thank you so much for your time today, Shannon. And everyone who's listening, if you resonate what Shannon was talking about and you're curious and you want to learn more about genetic counseling in the reproductive realm, please reach out to Shannon at Stork Genetics. And in the meantime, as I always say, you do you, stay well, and keep them healthy. Thank you so much, Shannon. Thank you. You take care. <laughs>